You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday evening to those of you joining us live and happy whatever day it is for those of you listening after the fact. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network and the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, uh, I've, I've been through the ringer the past few days, as I was telling you before we took the air, but I hope you are doing a little bit better than I. How's, how's everything going, my man? A busy, busy week in Bengaldom, that's for sure. For sure, man. Um, I'm doing good. Went to a wedding over the weekend, still that's right. uh, recovering from that. Um, but I'm glad that you are on your two feet and are alive. I saw like <laughs> what the, um, the, the, op- the observation was on fire in LA, gr- 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 Griffith is, is that the, is that what it's called? Oh yeah, and then yeah, actually, in my the town I grew up in, uh, Laguna Niguel, last week had a fire that uh, took out some homes, some some big homes up to, up on top of the hill. I didn't grow up there, but there was some. I grew up in that city, and they took out some big homes. So some fires, unfortunately, just the lack of rain this last fall and winter, uh, kind of taken its toll and. There's kind of some dry areas out here. We get it. We, I think you and I talked about, <laughs> joked about it last week. We get the, the earthquakes and the fires out here that, you know, not a lot of people around the rest of the U.S. get. They get the other stuff, the other harsh weather stuff. But uh, we have our own issues out here. But, yeah, fires, oh, not fun. Yeah, we, we, we just get the um, – we get tornado warnings, but then they don't end up being, like, tornadoes in Cincinnati. But, like, anytime there's, like, an actual, like – somewhat of a tornado it, it, it comes without warning so that's always the fun of it you know like you're, you're yeah. trying to prepare for it and it doesn't really happen it does happen to surrounding areas Cincinnati, like specifically kentucky maybe like a little right. bit of indiana but it's always the ones who are like yeah it's, it doesn't really look that great like oh crap there's a tornado coming <laughs> what was what not to not to yes not to dis, disparage that but i was thinking you going back to you being at a wedding what was your drink of choice because i'm i've already got drinks on the mind this is how this week's gone i'm like man so what was what was your wedding drink of choice well here, here's the thing because with weddings and I, we'll talk bangles i promise folks but with weddings it feels like you've got a different you know what i mean like you got to either yeah. class it up or you have a different you hit it a little harder or you hit it a little differently than you would just kind of you know when you're barbecuing or whatever what what was your what was john sheeran's cocktail of choice here at the wedding it was a family wedding was it not was a family wedding. My cousin okay. got married. Congratulations, Kristen. Congrats. Um, it was a true West Side, Cincinnati West Side wedding, even though it wasn't didn't take place in the West Side. And my family over there, they love them some Bud Light. But the the groom, the new groom, the newest member of the of the Sheeran clan, uh, he's a big Miller Light guy. So there was mm. Miller, there's Miller and Bud Light, a 
galore that was behind the bar and I, I had plenty of both but the, the groom's like the, like his signature drink like on the menu it's called the grizzly bear he's more of an outdoorsy guy and I thought oh that, that's interesting what's that going to be it was Jack and Coke <laughs> Oh, okay. So, that's, so I, that's I had one, I had one now. Jack and Coke and pl- and plenty of beers. So that that was that oh, there was. There you good. go. There you go. Yeah. I, you just you know sometimes you go. Hey, I'll, I'm gonna have wine tonight, or hey, I'm gonna do a Moscow Mule, or I don't know some whatever the thing is at weddings. You get a little shot or, a shot here and there too. So yeah, of course, of course. Well, hope you had a good time, my friend. Sounds like you did. And uh, I am ready to talk some bangles before we do. Just want to remind folks, in case you are new around these parts, you can subscribe to this channel in a number of different ways. The Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. You got to go subscribe there to get our show, The Orange and Black Insider, as well as Matt Mannix, Coach Speak, and Chalk Talk episodes. And when you subscribe there, leave us a review. If you could, helps us not only let us know how we're doing with things, but gets us a little increased visibility because we're egotistical maniacs over here so we need to get a little more visibility specifically me so please, yeah. well i hey i you're i'm i'm talking about me too my friend so <laughs> there there's that and then of course beneath john and beneath that cincy jungle icon down there there is a orange and black insider icon that you can click to subscribe to the youtube channel and of course click the bell to be notified when new content is available when we go live you also get a got to give a thumbs up on the cincy jungle facebook page and follow us on Twitter on a number of different accounts. Blah, blah, blah. Eat, stroke our egos. We, we we need it. So go do all the stuff. If you would, we appreciate all the support as always. So where do we begin? I guess just to kind of tee up the night, we're going to talk some Jesse Bates. We're going to talk maybe a tiny bit of OTAs, some interesting sound bites from Joe Burrow. We've got a little bit of a tweak on a, on a series we've done for the past few years we're going to do that we've got to remember when and then we're going to close up shop and bounce out of here but a lot to talk about and of course i guess we got to start the show off john on i don't know if you want to call it a somber note a sour note an expected note maybe all of the above but the news came out monday afternoon via tyler dragon former cincinnati inquirer beat man for the Bengals now kind of just does a variety of different, I shouldn't say just, but does a variety of sports for USA Today um, and broke the news that a source with knowledge is saying that Jesse Bates is going to sit out the spring, sit out the summer. And I, I kind of left it open-ended. And so I guess we can kind of start with number one, your, your reactions on Jesse Bates sitting out for an extended period of time. And we'll talk about what that may look like in a second, but just, when the news dropped, what do you what do you think, and what what do you make of all this thing? Yeah, it was open ended because I think he had already uh, there was at least some report that said that he has no intent on playing under the franchise tag, and you don't threaten and then proceed to skip out on OTAs. You don't threaten to skip training camp without also saying, "Yeah, I'm not going to play." under the franchise tag it's not gonna be like yeah i'm, I'm not gonna show up for practice and everything but I'll, I'll be there in september to sign the franchise tag like that's not that that's not what what it is that's not how you kind of um operate this use use of leverage which is exactly what it is uh, unfortunately for jesse bates and we've talked about this before he doesn't really have a ton of leverage left he nope. wasn't allowed to hit free agency because of the franchise tag and we can say what what it is with the franchise tag like i'm not a, a big fan of it but it is still there for teams to use and obviously Bates is not a fan of it either for his own reasons and at this point they have a replacement in Dax Hill who is 
officially now as of Wednesday under contract for the next four years. And he's already taking yeah. starting reps at that free yep. safety spot. And I, when I hear this, this just tells me that nothing's really changed. It's not necessarily the situation getting worse. It's just two sides are still really far apart and you don't threaten and then proceed to skip out on practices if you are close to coming to an agreement. The Bengals and Jesse Bates, I guess, have never really been that close to an agreement. That's why it stalled out last summer. That's why it never came to fruition uh, before the March 8th or March 9th deadline. It's, it's The situation hasn't changed, and them drafting not one but two safeties isn't going to make the situation easier for Bates. So this is just him saying, okay, fine. I won't show up to tramp. I won't show up to camp. I won't show up to practice. I'm a leader. I'm really important to this team and this defense. I just carried the defense in a certain way in the playoffs. Like I'm, I'm important. I matter. And this is my way of saying like, you guys need me. And I, I do think that the Bengals still believe uh, Jesse Bates has that value. That's why they have an offer for him available. But this is the Bengals and Mike Brown, and they don't really budge when these negotiations and just, they don't really respond like in a desperate manner to these threats and these actions so for Bates this is just kind of his last ditch effort to you know try to bring um, the Bengals closer to what he wants but unfortunately this hasn't really worked out for players in the past for the Bengals and I don't really foresee Jesse Bates being any different it's so, so like you said I like how you said it's not really I guess more bad news or anything like that really if you look at it that way, which I, I guess that's that is the way we should all look at it. It's more just like this is the next step in this process as it continues down this path. Um, if the path were to deviate, meaning they came to a contract agreement, then obviously things would change. But they have not gone down that path. They've continued down the one that they have been on for about a year now. And that's just the next step that the next domino to fall, so to speak, in this process. And if you were surprised by it, I don't, at least by, if you were surprised by all of it or pieces of it, I don't really know how you could because this has been brewing for a while now. And here's the thing that I, that I am kind of unclear on and I'll, I'll pull up the quote here, I guess, in just a second. There was basically there's, there's kind of two parts to this. And I was talking about this on, on the show yesterday that I did. The two parts to it, John, are I'm sitting out training camp and optional workouts and preseason games and all that kind of stuff. Then there's he's not going to play on the franchise tag. So that's two different things. That's not I'm I'm not there's I'm not showing up for anything I don't have to show up for on this contract. And there's I'm not playing on this contract. So reading that, hearing that, how did you take this with Bates potentially like do you believe he's going to sit out regular season games? Do you believe he's not going to show up if there is a contract, continued contract impasse? I, I personally find that a little hard to believe, leaving that money on the table. But we've seen franchise tag situations work for the benefit of a player and work for the major disadvantage for the player. So there's a lot to sort out here. I, I find it hard to believe he'd sit out the regular season, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I had to look this up because when like that report came out, like the first thing I thought of was Le'Veon Bell. And just a quick refresher there, it was the spring of 2017 when the Steelers first franchise tagged uh, Bell. They had like an offer for him, but obviously he wasn't into it. Uh, Bell did not sign the franchise tag by like July 5th, July 15th. He didn't show up for uh, practices, for camp, 
didn't play in the preseason. Eventually, he signed the tag in the beginning of September and then played that season. He started pretty slow because, of course, he missed like all practice and all the preseason and whatnot. He was rusty. And then they did the same exact thing in 2018. Like they tagged him again. Bates, or excuse me, Bell threatened to not play under the franchise tag. And I, I'm not, I'm not really sure what happened in 2018. I feel like he sat out uh, at least some games in 2018 and then eventually went to the Jets. I don't feel like the Bengals are going to let it go into 2023 into year two of this. I feel like this is just like they're going to tag him. They're going to he's going to play under the tag. They're going to try to to extend him before the next spring. And if not, they're probably going to let him enter free agency. And they probably might. They probably may not even like try to to negotiate a contract at that point either. I feel like in their minds, if they didn't get a deal done by like July 15th of this year, then it's probably never going to happen. And, you know, based off of him threatening to hold out and not play, I don't think they're going to come to a deal. But I don't think he's going to sit out this year because that's very rare for someone, at least who got tagged the first time to do. Because at the end of the day, like Jesse Bates wants wants the, the money that he feels like he deserves. And he's not going to pass up 13 million of them to play for the Bengals for one more year. Like he doesn't hate the Bengals. He doesn't hate Cincinnati. He doesn't hate his team. He wants to play football. There's That should not be in question at all. And I feel like it is, but from some select fans, but obviously he doesn't want to play without that security, but he might not have a choice. And I, I do believe that he, if he does sit out an entire season, like I'm not sure if, if he's not Deshaun Watson, he doesn't have that leverage as a top quarterback to get the contract he wants. If he doesn't play football for an entire year. So I feel like he's not really going to have a choice and he'll have to play. And then hopefully he stays healthy and gets the contract that he deserves. So I understand why he said he won't play under the tag because you have to say that in this situation, but I don't believe him at all um, that he's actually going to not play. I don't, I don't believe that either. And a lot has been made about the, you know, where the two sides are at the representation of Bates. And, you know, I, I had for a different reason earlier this week and, and this weekend, uh, this past weekend, I was doing a little research on on some things, um, agency representations and whatnot. And then there was a subsequent Twitter conversation about this, I guess, yesterday. Um, but I, I do think it's kind of ironic and funny in some ways that Jesse Bates and Daxon Hill have the same agency representation. Okay. So uh, um, that's that's uh, that's kind of ironic in, in a lot of different ways there. But uh, in some other Bengals area, there was also the talk of T. Higgins, which is one of the, the points of you know, what are the Bengals going to do if they try and extend Bates and they try and extend Higgins and they try and extend Burrow down the road. And, you know, that whole conversation piece goes with it. I still think, you know, if this, this, these are pretty clever people in the Bengals front front office. And I mean that as a compliment, I don't mean that, you know, in a, in a negative connotation there, these are clever people and they can find creative ways to make things happen if, if they truly wanted to, to do that. And if the other side is willing to work with them on what they are offering, obviously, they're just far apart. And how, how far apart do you think they are? Because when you look at how this thing has evolved, there's a lot of talks, a lot of talks, a lot of talks. It just hasn't come to an agreement. Haven't hasn't come to an agreement. You do the franchise tag. You draft a bunch of secondary players in the draft. Now there's the power move by Jesse Bates. I'm not going to play on the franchise tag. I'm not showing up to anything. What's the Bengals next move type of thing. So there's a lot of point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. But, I mean, do you find that they are just way off? Or I just gut feeling. I mean, do you find they are just way off? Do you find it's just, you know, what we all kind of think it is, which is that guaranteed money aspect? 
I, I don't know. Um, obviously, they're they're off because it hasn't happened. But is it just worlds apart in your in your estimation? I think it is because like they don't typically exceed like the twenty million mark in terms of total guaranteed money. Like people look at like the safety market this year and how it quote unquote diminished because you had Marcus Williams taking like fourteen million per year. Tyron Matthew took like nine million per year. You know, you had guys signed late in the process. Marcus Williams still earned thirty seven million in total guaranteed money. That's only one million um, less than Jamal Adams got a couple years ago with the Seahawks. Jesse Bates once probably in that $30 million range. That's what David Mulligetta is going after. And I don't think the Bengals are offering anything close to that. I think the average annual value is still like in the low teens area, like the 14, maybe 15 million range. And maybe Bates wants a little bit more than that. That's never really been, I think what has prohibited the Bengals from getting these deals done. It's always been the guaranteed money. But Anthony, I feel like there's also this narrative that Jesse Bates isn't worth that. And like we, there's there's a discussion to be said about this, but at the end of the day, as an NFL player, you are essentially worth what someone pays you. Like no one believes that Christian Kirk is worth like 18 million per year, but that's what he got from it's the business Jaguars. Business one on one, my man. Yeah, it's if, business one on one. If that offer is out there for you and you believe that it is, then you're obviously going to want that from the team that you want to be on. So if Jesse Bates didn't get franchise tagged, and if they didn't come to an agreement, and he hits free agency. He is 100% getting the deal that he wants because he's 100%. a really good free safety and he just had a really good postseason. I understand that he wasn't as consistent as he was in 2021 compared to what he was in 2020, but the safety position is naturally volatile and there's a, it's a high variance position. It's really hard to be at the, high, at the highest level at that spot in the sport, but when he's on, his ability, that's where his value is derived from and someone is going to give it to him if they are allowed to and if it's not the Bengals, someone will. Someone will. And that is a great point because not only is he a good player, is it, are there consistency issues? Sure. Are they all, are all of those consistency issues all 100% on Jesse Bates? No, in my estimation, no. You can go back to previous years. I mentioned this on the show yesterday. He played under Terrell Austin as a rookie. Do you remember how big of a disaster that was mm-hmm. uh, at defensive coordinator? There were years in the, in the early years of Zach Taylor where he was kind of putting out. It's it's the guy, in the, you know, if you can kind of think about a, a little bit of a visual, it's the guy that kind of puts out a fire here, and then he's there's yeah. another one going on over there. That's what what Bates was doing early parts of his career because of a lack of personnel issues, and then of course things not really coming to fruition under until last year under Lou Anarumo. So there's a little bit of that. And yes, there is some, like you said, there's high variance in the position. I, I like I like that phrasing, but we have seen every year in March, and you mentioned a name, Christian Kirk, every year in March, teams go bananas when it comes time to pay some of these players. And you go, that guy got what? And Jesse Bates is a premium player in the league right now. Jesse Bates is in his prime in the NFL right now. And whether you find him to be the most consistent player, whether you think he's the best safety or not in the NFL, if he hits that free market, John, to your, to what you just said, he will get the money that he is seeking. I think also to your point, I am in agreement with you that they are way off because it seems as if they, if they were relatively close, pretty close, I think Jesse would say, all right, I'll stick around. And that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah, like Joe Mixon, Sam Hubbard, like those were deals that 
I think with Joe, there was, I think, some reports about them, like, not getting as close as they wanted to. But, like, Joe never, like, threatened to, to hold out or anything. Also, like, Joe was under contract at the time. And I think there's some confusion with this with Jesse. Like, I think the Bengals still have his rights. So he's not, like, a free agent, even though he didn't sign his franchise tender, which is why... Um, like he like he can't be signed by another team if he doesn't right. sign the tender by July 15th. Um, so they can technically, I think, still trade him. It's just a matter of like if a team wants to trade a, a player who needs like a contract and everything that that would adjust the value. But he's still technically like like the Bengals still own his rights. It's just a matter of like that he has to agree to a deal by July 15th or he has to play under the tag and he can skip training camp practices without signing the tag because he won't get fined because he's technically not under contract. So it's the difference between like being under contract and having your rights. It's, it's like rookies right now. Like the five unsigned drafted players by the Bengals, like their rights are owned by the Bengals, but they're technically not under contract. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit of a gray area in, in, in things, but yeah. And you know, we'll, we'll move on to a little bit of, of OTA talk here, but this is, I, I kind of want to end on this and I, this is something I mentioned yesterday, but I think the Bengals, you know, I think they are negotiating on, you know, I'm putting faith in them that they are actually engaging in conversations or have engaged in conversations. And maybe they've moved their position a little bit in terms of finances and whatnot in the contract that they are offering Jesse Bates. But even if you believe Mike Brown is still in the driver's seat of this thing, whether it's the Blackburns that are in the driver's seat of this thing now or what have you, we have seen this family when it comes time to, you know, contract negotiations and this is where we are and we're not really moving from this. They dig their feet in. And, you know, I, I just, I don't, maybe they'll move a little bit, with, with with their contract that they have out there, but I just don't, from what I've seen from this team, it would surprise me if they moved heavily. Now, we probably won't learn that behind the curtain there, but it would surprise me a bunch if they, I don't know if you want to call it caving, I don't know if you want to call it bending, whatever the case may be, it would surprise me a lot because usually players and the Browns and Blackburns, uh, players don't win that battle when they, when they kind of strong arm the contract or pay me, trade me, you know, cut me, trade me, whatever the case may be. They don't usually win that battle very often, at least not right away. Yeah. And this is just their, whatever value they have for Jesse. It doesn't match what Jesse values himself. It's not like neither side doesn't respect the other. Sometimes both sides can just, they, they have their own business to conduct. And that's why not every partnership lasts. And also for, I think for, you know, people are naturally going to be like, if they're not going to pay Jesse Bates, then what's that going to be for next year for T. Higgins and Joe Burrow? T. Higgins is still very much up in the air, but they won't have to try to like move mountains for Joe Burrow because I think they're going to offer the contract initially and it's going to be enough. Like they're not, don't even think about that. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Yeah, that one, that one I'm not really worried about. So yeah, uh, that's that's kind of what's going on with Jesse Bates, as we know right now. And we probably won't be seeing or hearing much from him for a little while. We will see, though, uh, as this thing continues to go step by step. And as we get closer to training camp preseason and the regular season, what happens with this thing? Just a couple of other quick OTA nuggets. We did a lot of those yesterday, so we won't belabor the point on the, um, the Happening Headline show. But Joseph Osai... Did have another procedure done on his knee. I guess it was kind of to, 
don't know if it was a cleanup or, you know, just to kind of make sure things are all set. I don't know what, whatever the, the proper phrasing is there, but um, we did see him doing some wind sprints and side side field activities, which is good. You know, he's not just sitting there in a brace still or something like that. So he is out there and doing some different things. Um, we talked about Bates. And then the other piece of news that uh, kind of came out uh, through through some different things, you had mentioned it before we took the air, John, and that was, um, was it Higgins? What what, what was the, the piece of info? Um, for, for T Higgins or just like or, OTAs. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, I think for, for injuries, for starters, I think we can, we can assume that no injury that the Bengals are currently suffering is going to hinder them from participating in training camp. Like you mentioned, yeah. Osai, I don't really know what a cleanup procedure is. Like I always hear that and I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I get it. I don't, um, I think everyone else, like they're on the rehab field, except for T Higgins, He's just still re- rehabbing um, that shoulder, but he's not in a sling anymore. He'll be back for training camp. Logan Wilson, Marcus Bailey, who I think wasn't injured at the end of last year, but he might have had like something minor that he took care of in the offseason. Uh, Brandon Wilson as well. He's still under contract. He can he can make his return. Joe, Joe Bocci as well. I think he, Akeem Davis-Gaither, um, I don't think he was mentioned. He might be already practicing, which is kind of insane, but I think all the injuries right now, like they still exist, but there's still two months to go before camp. And I think all of them will be able to be uh, practicing, which is the most important thing right now. Yeah, and then Hendrickson is is one who is sitting these out as yeah. well, uh, expected to be back by training camp. So that was a little bit, oh, but at the same time, when you see, you know, OTAs, you think optional, <laughs> optional, right? Um, not, it's not, not truly optional uh, in some people's eyes, but he is working out on his own, spending time with family and doing that thing. According to Zach Taylor, that was kind of expected. Yeah, so Trey Hendrickson got six million out of, as a for roster bonus in March, and he gets no workout bonuses. He he already yeah. he already earned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did, he did, and a, a stellar coming off a stellar season for the Bengals there. So that's kind of some OTA updates, and you can go back to the happening headlines to go through more of that. And of course, you can go through the Tuesday OTA breakdown. Great post that John put together on CincyJungle.com, wherein he has his own perspectives. And then there's a lot of other tweets and whatnot from the great beat writers and coverage men and women of the Cincinnati Bengals. So we're going to move on. We're going to we've talked a lot about Jesse Bates and it's it's, you know, it's a I don't know if it's a tough conversation, but it's, you know, one of those things where you go, oh, boy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. 
Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So now we can move on to Mr. Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow made a very, it kind of came out of nowhere, I guess, a podcast appearance. I, I can't, you probably know the name of the show. I should probably know it, but I've seen some clips. I haven't seen the entire interview to be to be truthful, but I've seen quite a few clips and quite a few answers were were entertaining and insightful and very Joe Burrow esque. And you know, I, I I was privileged enough during the Super Bowl to be and and ask him you know a question or two in the the virtual presser to kick off the whole festivities. And he's very. Tom Brady-esque in his in the way he kind of does the press conferences. So being a part of that, seeing him and seeing how he answered a question and whatnot that I asked him and all kinds of other people have asked him, it's interesting to see the podcast side where he kind of opened up and, and said a lot of different things. What was the name of the show again, John? Do you remember offhand? Yeah, it's the Full Send podcast. Apparently right. they were like um, like really badgering him to come on and they always got no and they finally got a yes just because I think he was bored last week. So Noted. Noted. Take some notes on that. <laughs> yeah, so he's been on like part of my take I think a couple times. That's the only time he's been on a podcast and I think um, I, I, I don't I, I don't remember if he said he like didn't like podcasts. It's just like, you know, it was just not something that he really wanted to do, but he you know, found time for it and he just did it. And, you know, he's just a natural, like, you're right. He's got the temperament of Tom Brady, but you know, if you, if you ask him the right things and um, if you ask something that like piques his interest, he, he opens up about it. And I think that's, I think it's similar to Bill Belichick because Belichick is just, you know, he, he's, he's like this, you know, you're not, you're not really gonna get anything <laughs> out of him. but when you ask him like genuine football questions, he will recite like an encyclopedia of like cover two or something like that. And then like Burrow, had had some of those some of those moments like talking about sacks, talking about like coming back to Ohio. Um, I, I just took some notes fr- from it from the times that he did kind of open up a little bit more than I expected. Really early on, um, he was just talked about like um, the other side of being a professional quarterback, and you know we know or we, we think we know like the person Joe Burrow because he comes in with these great outfits, you know, he makes these sound bites. He, he's just like himself. Right. But he, he makes news, he makes headlines. And I think it's interesting when you hear that person say that they just, they, they hate the stardom. They hate like the spotlight in that side of, of the job. Like, it's not like he doesn't like interacting with fans and whatnot, but it, it's just not really his cup of tea. Like everything that he does and he says it's, it really just is himself. He's not creating this image to, you know, cultivate his persona and, and his star status. It's, it's just just him being him. And it just happens to make news because it's, it's, it is really captivating. You know, he is someone that you, you really gravitate towards. It's just him kind of being himself. And he said it, it genuinely like gives him anxiety sometimes. And he also said that, like, you know, he wanted to come back to Ohio because he didn't play in Ohio at Ohio state, he hadn't played since high school. So there was that factor of it, but Anthony, I really found it interesting about like not really loving the limelight because when he was first drafted by the Bengals, the, it wasn't just about the Bengals weren't very good. They haven't been good in forever. They've never won a super bowl. They're, they're not serious. It's also just the fact that it's Cincinnati and it's like one of the smallest markets, one of the smallest cities to host an NFL team. It's never been this free agent destination. 
And it's like, why would this guy, this absolute superstar of a quarterback, want to play in that environment? But I think we forget that, you know, Joe Burrow was born in Iowa. He grew up in, in Ohio. He lived in Nebraska, North Dakota. The biggest cities he's ever been in was Columbus and Baton Rouge. Like, I, it feels like that part has always been missed out. Like, why would that guy, like, genuinely want to go to a New York or a Chicago or Los Angeles if he's never really been in that lifestyle in general? And that goes back to what we just talked about a minute ago with the future contract negotiations with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. If this team and he continue to find high levels of success, like last year, it's going to be easy for him. And the Bengals obviously offer him a fair deal, which we know they pay the quarterbacks. They pay the quarterbacks. They pay the wide receivers. They pay the offensive tackles. They pay the cornerbacks. So, we think we we're, we're thinking that the Bengals are going to be offering a fair market deal to Joe Burrow when the time comes. And what you just said plays into the whole, yeah, he's going to resign here if everything continues to go on the path that it's heading. So that makes a lot of sense. And I, I don't know if I'm going to properly articulate this, but the, kind of the air that I took, from Joe Burrow. And it's, I, I kind of felt it a little bit in, in those, uh, the virtual presser in the Super Bowl and stuff that, that we were in. And then, you know, kind of hearing this interview and it, it's almost like, I, I, I it's almost an air of like, well, I, I'm kind of confused as to why people care about certain things about me so much. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's almost kind of like, why do you care about my outfits? Like, why are you asking me about that question? I don't, I, you know, and he's like, I, I don't really, he's not, he said he wasn't comfortable about doing the selfies and interacting with fans on su such like a, you know, intimate, close level. He loves the fans. He loves, it's more just like, dude, I play football, right? It's like, I, that. that's almost his attitude. It seems it's like, I, I play football. I play professional football. That's what I do. I, I don't, and, and say, without saying it, it's almost like, what's the big deal? Right. I, it, that's almost, it seems like that's kind of his approach. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm just talking out of my ass and saying that, but that's a little bit of the attitude that I took from it. It's almost like, what, what's the big deal? Yeah. hundred percent. Because like he's been on record multiple times saying like, I'm not wearing these things to make a statement. I'm wearing them because I think it looks cool. And like, you know, there, there is a definite subsection of people that are like, Oh, you wouldn't wear such a thing if you weren't trying to attack to attract attention. I think that, is what is assumed for burrow when it's just general genuinely like hey this outfit looks pretty cool i'm, I'm gonna wear it i feel confident in myself when i feel confident in myself I, I play my best like that's just it's just natural human behavior there were some other things as well that i found was interesting um in 2018 when he went when he came to lsu he specifically said that he had to kind of like relearn how to like play and start a quarterback because he had been on the bench mm. for three years and that's part of the reason why i think 2018 was not as explosive as 2019, he was still learning the offense and whatnot. But all, not only that, he said that when he came to Cincinnati in the NFL, it was it was a vast difference in terms of like calling plays because in high school and in college and even in LSU, in in that what we consider to be a pro style offense, it was still mostly just signals. And now you're transitioning to being in the huddle with you know screaming fans in in your ears trying to call plays and everything. And that was kind of an adjustment, which kind of contradicts, I think what like the labels were of him as being like a pro style quarterback who, you know, made made calls of the line and stuff like that. It's still an adjustment for, for any rookie quarterback and coinciding with that, Anthony, something I found really interesting because like, he's going to get compared to Justin Herbert a ton in his career in the, in one of the biggest 
I guess, perceived differences is like the leadership abilities and like the styles of leadership that, that they exhibit. Whereas Herbert is more kind of low key, like laid back, you know, West Coast style, like like yourself. Uh, Burrow <laughs> is more like the oh, he's like the alpha dog, you know, he's like the rah rah guy. He, he gets in your face and everything. And that's not really what he is. And that's kind of what he kind of spoke about. I, I got from him that like the relationships that you build with the team and in the locker room, it, it matters so much more than being like the guy that everyone looks to and the guy who makes the speeches and the guy who, you know, is holds everyone accountable. And like what we traditionally perceive to be like the alpha leader quarterback, that's not really Joe Burrow. And, that, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Leadership takes on so many different forms. And he himself said that like, he didn't feel necessarily comfortable with that in the beginning, but the, the support that he received from the veterans who knew the case, like he was going to come in and be the starter day one as this 23 year old rookie. And I think once he got that, like level of like affirmation from the veterans, he started to kind of grow into that more, but he's not really that alpha type guy that I think a lot of people assume that he is based off of just how he carries himself. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I, you know, uh, (laughs) it's contradictory of, of what we think of him. And I'm seeing this, this comment here from Brian and Iowa. he's got to realize that he's an entertainer on the world's biggest stage in, in a way, yeah, I think he most definitely realizes that and he recognizes that. But I, again, I go back to this almost this aura of what's the big deal? Like yeah. it, it, it's it's this. Yeah, that, that comes with with this. But I, I just I just don't think he views this through the same lens that we do. And I think he's just like, I just play football. That's just my thing. And I don't know why this this is like a big deal to so many people. That's almost what it seems like. I mean, of course he's an intelligent guy. He understands it's the NFL. It's the biggest, you know, there's a lot there, but it's almost just, he has such a grounded mind in a way that it's, it doesn't let a lot of the other things get to him. And, you know, I found it also interesting kind of piggybacking off that. And I, I, I almost got to give a, a, a guest producer title to, uh, Tommy Williams, one of our listeners, and I, I had the pleasure of meeting him week one uh, at Bengal Jim's tailgate in person, which was awesome. But he's he kind of sends me little notes through Facebook Messenger and whatnot, and uh, some of them are quite helpful. And and one of the things he noted to me today that he reminded me of was, I believe it was Boomer Esiason who had gone back and said, you know, I, I can't go back and watch anything of the 88 Super Bowl. I think it was on the NFL Network special they did on it. And I, I haven't gone back and watched that. I think I've heard Chris Collinsworth say something of the same uh, same variety there. And Joe Burrow's like, yeah, I've watched it. Or yeah, I've watched it again. And he also noted in this interview that I, that, that I found interesting that he took something that Kurt Warner said, and that was he sulked after one of the Super Bowl losses and – you know, didn't go celebrate the 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 entirety of the year with the rest of his teammates. He kind of was alone, and he didn't do that. He did the opposite. He celebrated what the team accomplished and whatnot. It could be viewed as some people go, well, why are you celebrating after you lose the Super Bowl? There's the aspect that he mentioned of celebrating with your team, but also think about, especially for a young quarterback, this is where I think he really is switched on and gets it in a lot of ways. Think about spending hours either by yourself or with a small intimate group and just sulking and thinking and soaking in for hours that tough loss that close loss what could have been and for some folks who maybe don't have you know the type of mindset Joe Burrow has think about what kind of long-term 
kind of, I don't know, damage issues, whatever, what it can do to your psyche in, in so it's such an early point in your career. I, the fact that he didn't do that, I'm like, dude, go party, go, go have fun with your team. This was an unexpected thing for a lot of people. You guys did a lot of awesome things as a team. Go for it. Well, that's the thing, man, because I think when, when people heard about that and saw that they initially said like, it should be a good thing to like be ki- killed and crushed by this loss. Like it should do damage to your psyche because that's, what's going to make you like even hungrier and increase your drive to get back to that point. But again, I think that just goes with people assuming that athletes are robots and they have to act a certain way when everyone is different. They're just individuals. They're people at the end of the day. And I don't think anyone has ever been, I don't think anyone can actually legitimately question like the competitive drive and the spirit of Joe Burrow like he had to work his butt off to get where he is now and he made it clear that you know I don't accept losing which is of course what anyone would say but I think he has the work ethic and the production obviously to back that up one more thing that I wanted to, to bring up and this kind of thing goes with like the grounded nature and just like the the, the the coolness that he has he mentioned that um he was like asked about like the Super Bowl and like the AFC championship and like how that pressure compared to the, the college football playoff and everything and he I, I think he said that like it's entirely like media driven like he doesn't view like the biggest stages like as like this anything necessarily different or the stakes are raised and everything's more important I, I think he legitimately looks at everything as like a play-by-play situation and that's really what you kind of have to do like you, you can't get too high you can't get too low I think he said this during like a playoff presser as well you just have to take everything kind of in the moment and when you talked about being in the super bowl it wasn't like oh this is the super bowl you know like 200 million people are watching this is the last game of the year this is the championship this is a legacy defining game like he never really looked at that and like he said on record like it's really just us who kind of make those stakes being raised but at least with him and the players and whatnot they don't really look at like they don't really look at it like that and i feel like for some players they might if they're not really used to that situation but i think with burrow it is genuine it's perspective, John. It is perspective and how he is able to keep things in perspective. And that is a really unique type of perspective to be able to look at the Super Bowl like that. I don't think a lot of people on this planet would be able to handle that moment in a similar vein. Maybe he's, maybe he's, you know, talking, talking some talk at that point, but I tend to believe him based on just how he handles himself. And again, it goes back to that that plays into how he handled the aftermath of that game yeah. and how he partied with his teammates, his friends, and didn't sit and sulk and let it, you know, kind of continue to define him. And I think he is also aware enough to know that, dude, this was, this was year two. I was coming off an injury, right? I mean, this, this is, this is potentially just the, you know, the tip of the, the iceberg that's poking out of the, everything that's way deep under the ocean. Right. I mean, it's there, this, there could be a lot more here. And I think he was aware enough to, um, to, to, you know, talk about that. So anyway, uh, that is a a little bit on the Burrow interview. Very, very interesting pieces of sound bites from him in that. And you get a little peek behind the Joe Burrow curtain, go check out that podcast and that interview most Definitely. Um, we do have a super chat from Mr. Whisper. Um, I guess. Thank you for that, by the way. Uh, why, why do you, why do you think the idea of not resigning Von Bell is being floated as an option to make resigning Bates easier? 
Dax is viewed as an ideal fit and upgrade at strong safety. That tandem seems better. Do you have thoughts on that, John? Wait, so is the question, like, why are they not re-signing Bell? Because it would be, it would be like, it would make Bates more enticed to, to re-sign? Is that, is, that what, is that what he's asking here? Uh, Sure. <laughs> I'm having a little trouble dissecting this one myself here. Why do you, why do you think the idea of not resigning Von Bell is being floated as an option to make resigning? I, I think maybe maybe what Mr. Whisper and I don't want to speak for uh, him here, but maybe the idea is, hey, you know, does signing your your partner here long term, Von Bell, right. to a contract does that make it more enticing for you to take the deal that's on the table? that we have. I don't know if that makes sense because, you know, now you're going to be paired with a guy that you are accustomed to working with and working well with over the past couple of years. Yeah. So under that premise, I feel like if you believe that Dax Hill is more suited to be a strong safety, and I don't feel like we can pigeonhole him at any specific uh, position right now, because we don't really know what the plan is for him. If you feel like he's ideal for that spot, why would you re-sign a guy at that spot who can only play that spot? I feel like, Dax Hill can play either safety spot and obviously he can be an overhang defender and play a little in the slot as well. So maybe that's the reason why, like, I feel like if anything, like Von Bell's probably gone because Dax Hill is here and like Bates just might be gone because of other reasons. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Whisper. That's a, a somewhat decent segue into our next segment so to speak and it's kind of a new one every year around summertime maybe a little later than this but it's always kind of memorial day-ish that we do a segment which is potential breakout players and we sometimes use rookies sometimes it's undrafted free agents sometimes it's you know uh players that have been on the roster for a couple years and you say you know is this person stepping into a higher profile role that sort of thing we're going to do a little bit of a different spin we may still do the potential breakout players down the road i don't know but we're going to do a little bit of a different spin on this. And I don't know what we want to call it per se. I mean, some little dumb name that I thought it was behind, <laughs> the, behind the scenes bangles. Basically the idea is, you know, non-starters, uh, whether they're rookies or whatever, right now you look at them and, you know, they're not starters. Maybe they're even fringe roster guys, but guys all of a sudden who maybe not, not only break out, but, the team needs them to break out. It's not just like a luxury thing, right? It's, it's hey, you know, this person may now have to take a lot of different snaps, a, a higher profile um, role here. So one, since we just talked about safety a lot here, one that comes to mind might be Tyson Anderson. Now we talked about him, uh, we, you know, we talked about Daxon Hill now being kind of the starter because Bates is out. Tyson Anderson is a guy that I guess initially after the Bengals drafted him, you go, Hey, you know, maybe he's a developmental guy in a couple of years, he takes over and kind of has a, you know, a niche role on the defense. Maybe he takes over a starting position because of the high end athleticism, the traits there, but the right now it's kind of special teams, you know, backup defensive back, that sort of thing. Well, now with Bates out of the mix, we went Rumo liking to use a lot of different players, a lot of different looks in the secondary. Tyson Anderson might be one of these behind-the-scenes Bengals who may not be behind the scenes for, for much longer, especially as this bait situation potentially drags out. I really like that because, I mean, he's automatically going to be involved from a special teams perspective, and I don't think that's going to change regardless of how much he plays on defense. But if they really do want to rotate these guys 
and and utilize three safeties. Um, like injuries are going to happen, and I I would assume he's already he's probably already the fourth safety on the roster at this point. Like I think Michael Thomas might be ahead of him right now, but like that that is a really good athlete, Anderson, and you know he's he's cerebral, he's intelligent, he can handle a lot of responsibilities. Injuries are going to happen again, and I think in practice and in the preseason when Bates probably isn't going to play, he's going to get a ton of time there as well, and that can continue to grow um, him in the eyes of, of the coaching staff. So he could perceivably have an increased role as like a third safety while Von Bell and Dax Hill are playing a lot, and obviously Jesse Bates as well. But you know, like that, I think that rotation as at third safety might be might be pretty healthy because of the depth that they have. If it was immediate, what do you think his impact would be? Do you think, you know, smaller school, again, high-end athletic traits, good size, et cetera. I mean, but right away, potentially, or early on, I mean, do you do you see success for this kid in, in something that may resemble a high-profile role, or is there going to be a steeper learning curve for him? It's definitely tough for rookie defensive backs of all kinds to integrate themselves early in the NFL, um, just – getting used to different route concepts and, and combinations and getting into run fits, you know, going from any level in college to the NFL. It's, it's obviously an, an adjustment and a learning curve. They're not going to expect him to play a lot of snaps early on anyways, but yeah, I think naturally like the athleticism will, will help him translate as he gets more comfortable. The game will slow down, but he will not because he's really freaking fast. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one uh, behind the scenes. Do you want to do you want to share another that you may yeah. have, John? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw one out there. I like Robert Obrecht's uh, Tyler Shelvin uh, comment. I think we'll, we we may get to him in a, in a later week or so. I'm going to go with Cam Sample though, because to me, I don't know what he is. To be honest, I I don't think he was that impressive as a rookie last year. He had like a handful of like you know kind of those those hustle pressures, if you will. He didn't really win a ton with athleticism or technique. I think, like, again, he was kind of small school. He was from Tulane last year, and he was really thrusted into, like, a heavy rotational role because of injuries that they had at defensive end. Like, they, they're expected to have Osai and White Hubert back. So I don't really know where Sample kind of fits in this rotation, but they, they have film on him from last year. Like, there's an, expect, there's an expectation that he takes a jump in year two, and there might be an expectation that he, that he plays a little bit more inside because they have a rookie in Zach Carter that they want to you know use a three technique more, but they don't really have a ton of depth behind um, BJ Hill. So maybe that becomes a role for Cam Sample if you know Edge is a little bit too packed for him, and maybe that's where he can better utilize uh, his skill set at his frame. You know, he's 6'3", 265, 270 in that range. There's not a lot of burst off the edge. It's it's a lot of power in his game, and that that might be. Um, a transition that would be best for what he currently is. That is a, a very interesting player to to choose because, you know, I think, you know, the obvious, the obvious kind of rotational pass rusher that everybody's watching this year is Joseph Osai. Is he going to be the guy that comes in and is able to spell and be effective in a lot of different packages? Sample's going to be relied upon. I think he was um, – with Hendrickson out, wasn't he one of the, the starting uh, yeah. edge players in OTAs this week? So, you know, it's it's interesting. They think highly of him. I I don't know what to make of him. I liked the pick when they made it, and I like the idea. Uh, I, I go back to in terms of maybe some build and what they want to do with him, a little, you know, kick him inside here and there to get some inside pressure with him. 
obviously use the um you know use the edge rush ability too that's kind of the wallace gilberry thing from a couple of years ago remember they used to do that with him yeah. where they would kick him inside to try and get some pressure there kind of a also frosty rucker right was is he a defensive tackle is he a defensive end you know he, he would play kind of all over the place as well um so i mean there's there's kind of that and his build is not the, the long tall lean like you said he's kind of a little bit more stockier and uh, a little bit of a different build but he is a guy where you go, okay, between – everybody's talking about Osai as that next guy up. Well, you've got a lot to sort out now between Gunter, between Sample, between Hubert, between Yes Osai, between Khalid Kareem. I mean, there, there are a yeah. lot of guys in there that you got to figure out who, who they are. And I think Sample is a guy that you need to figure out who they are and whether that's as the number three kind of rotational edge guy – a guy who kicks in uh, in certain packages inside or the number four edge rusher, he, he could, if he shows himself to be ahead of the, the, the other names there, he could be a guy that gets, uh, you know, a higher profile role than any of us really anticipate at this point. Yeah. I, I think when, when we do the series, we'll realize how much we're going to mention defensive names because at this <laughs> point the offense is pretty much set. Like we can talk right. about Olsen in the future, but I think that's just the state of the team right now. It's a lot of, a lot of young depth that's been recently integrated on defense and on the other side of the ball. It's a really, really, really good unit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back here. Uh, that's, that's a little bit of behind the scenes bangles. We're going to get to uh, remember when and drop the mic and get out of here before we do Derek Farrow. Hopefully I, I, I feel like I said it right yesterday. He complimented me that I said it right yesterday. <laughs> and I, I, I hopefully I'm saying it right. I can't even remember if I said it right this time here. Uh, do you project Jackson Carmen keeping the starting uh, job at left guard? Just kind of a little bit of a tail end segue out of this uh, behind the scenes bangles because we're, you know, talking about players who may get significant roles that we don't expect and whatnot. Do you think Jackson Carmen keeps the starting job? He was in there with the ones at this point, just as we sit here before Memorial Day, John, what's your gut feeling on that? That one? Yeah, that makes sense because, you know, he's not a rookie like Volson. So this is like, if we can go back to our symbol days. This is the time to maybe um, sell stock on Cordo Volson and maybe buy low on Carmen because all we're hearing is good things about Volson, but we haven't seen him in pads yet. And that's when it's really going to matter. He Volson might, might not be ready. right. Like he's making a big transition from North Dakota state to the AFC North. Like it might be a little bit too much for him in, in the beginning. Maybe Carmen is just good enough to hold on. So I think until Volson actually shows something like, obviously we're giving him a good shot because Carmen is not that impressive and everything. We haven't seen him make the jump, but right now, like it's Carmen's job to lose. And until I see something from Volson, I'll just kind of stick with that. Yeah, I, I kind of I think it was on Jeff Trenopole's show, Strawberry Ice. Uh, I think I had said made some kind of thought, you know, that the conversation was around Deontay Smith, Jackson Carmen, and Cordell Volson. You know, Volson may be the, the high floor, maybe not the highest ceiling guy. Deontay Smith is maybe the low floor, really high ceiling guy because of, you know, the measurables and, and kind of some unknowns there. And then Jackson Carmen's maybe in the middle of, of those two guys in terms of floor and ceiling there. So I don't know if that makes sense to you, but um, just a thought I yeah, had, it does. And, uh, you know, and maybe that's, and maybe that high floor, so to speak, to use a tired cliche in draft talk, uh, maybe that high floor of Volson wins out on some things. I don't know. Um, but you know, the, the Deontay Smith chatter is kind of quieted down a little bit from last year. Now that the Volson's kind of getting hyped up. So I'm kind of interested to see how all of that 
plays out. Um, you know, we'll see here very, very early, very early. But thank you, Derek, for the super chat. For the remember when, I told you earlier that Tommy Williams gave me an assist. And he, you know, uh, commented to me earlier today about something with uh, a certain team. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Before I, I do, I'm going to tee up the remember when with, with this. And a lot of folks, there's some differing opinions on how well or how poorly the Cincinnati Bengals will do this year. This was a tweet from Jeremy Rausch. And this is from ESPN, I believe, saying the highest chance, and this is according to ESPN's Football Power Index. Okay. I mean, that sounds arbitrary as hell, but whatever. Uh, highest chance to win AFC. The Bengals are 10th. Now there's, you know, four teams tied, six, you know, six through nine. You've got two other teams tied, four and five, two other teams tied at two and three. So, I mean, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. But you have the Bengals, you being ESPN, below the Browns, the Ravens, the Raiders, the Patriots, the Colts, the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Chargers. So, they have them way down and that is speaking to the potential of them. Not a lot of folks, not believing that they, they will repeat, whether it's the Super Bowl hangover, whether it's the high end talent that has entered the AFC a lot on a lot of those teams that were just listed there, whether it's teams really gunning for the Bengals issue, whatever the case may be a variety of factors. Some folks are not as high on the Bengals repeating as AFC champions, repeating potentially as AFC North champions and ESPN's index, courtesy of Jeremy Rausch, notes that. Now, Tommy shared with me a, a story about the 1971 Miami Dolphins. And you go, why the hell is that anything that makes any kind of sense? Well, they went to the Super Bowl and lost. And they were 10-3-1 Don Shula, legendary coach, got him there. And, you know, it was a heartbreaking loss. I believe it was to the Cowboys, maybe. Um, they lost that game, and a lot of folks said that they would have a hangover and they would not be able to go back to the Super Bowl, make things happen, all kinds of stuff. Well, what happened? Do you remember, do you remember the significance of the 1972 Miami Dolphins, John? I was about to say, I'd never heard of the 1971 Dolphins, but I do know the 1972 Dolphins. Uh, that a boy, you, you know your history. The, the 1972 Miami Dolphins were the team that went 14-0, and went all the way through the playoffs, and won the Super Bowl, again under Don Shula and Bob Greasy and many, many other iconic NFL players. Yay, right? What is it? You know, it's that's a great story. Well, not only do they do that, John, they repeated again in 1973. They went, I, I had to one-up. I had to go research more. When Tommy fed me this info, I had to go one-up him like a true A-wipe that I am. And I went and I found that 1973, the Miami Dolphins, I don't know why this is not showing up here. There we go. The Miami Dolphins went and won the Super Bowl again. They went 12-2 and that year under Don Shula and won the Super Bowl against the Minnesota Vikings. By the way, winning the divisional round against the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe that was Ken Anderson in that game, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to double-check that one. Damn. But uh, they won the Super Bowl two times. So not only did they avoid the Super Bowl hangover, did the Miami Dolphins, they had the iconic NFL undefeated season, winning the Super Bowl, and then they repeated as Super Bowl champs again 
at the cost of the Cincinnati Bengals in 1973. So a little bit of a history lesson. Remember when the Miami Dolphins set a potential tone for the Cincinnati Bengals back in the 70s by repeating as Super Bowl champs after losing one. So they went to three Super Bowls in a row. And, uh, yeah, they won two of them after losing the first one. Yeah, it's, it sounds pretty good to me. Sounds easy. Let's let's do it. Let's book yeah. our tickets right now. You know, am I am I sharing this down below here, John? Oh, just 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 want to get to to my mic drop. But um, okay, yeah, I I forgot that they won back to back. Um, and it feels a little different nowadays compared to fifty years ago. But yeah, it's possible. Yeah. And yeah. I I am curious, like what what that nineteen seventy one Dolphins team was. I, I think when you talk about hangovers and like regression and stuff, it it, it usually involves the teams that you know got away with a lot of things they they got genuinely lucky on the field and like it's that sense of oh they don't belong here because everything had to go right for them and with the Bengals like they were I think um they had a losing record in close like one score games like obviously they stayed healthy and everything but um like their passing games legit that usually is sustainable I know that everyone realizes that the AFC has never been this stacked before, but it's not like the Bengals are just going to go away. They may not go back to the Super Bowl, even in Burrow's career. Like that's a legitimate possibility, but yeah, it's just, it's this major regression talk that I think is really weird. And I think is really kind of lazy. It's just that Super Bowl hangover narrative and that trope. But I think there's more nuance and context to it as shown by the Dolphins 50 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's drop the mic and get on out of here. What do you got for us, my friend? Yeah, let's go ahead and roll this. That is precisely what talking to a hater feels like. A reasonable person, someone who's looking to debate, they take a punch to the face and they're hurt and they show that they're hurt and they want to understand what's going on. A hater, he laughs in your face and he asks you to punch him more and he punches back. A hater is an agent of chaos. He wakes up, logs onto this hellhole with the sole intention of upsetting you. But more importantly, there is no shame that comes with a hater because there's only the agenda. And under no circumstances do you waste time building, creating, and propagating agendas on teams and players who do not matter. This is where the Bengals and you guys come in because, unfortunately, you haven't mattered at least not in the era of Twitter. Sure, they've made the playoffs and they've been decent and had good players, but the, the agendas were cookie cutter. You lose in the first round, your owner's cheap, bing, bang, boom. There's nothing else that needs to be said. Obviously, some things have changed. This team is no longer a laughing stock, but that's not going to stop the people who want it to be. You think Skip Bayless ever takes a day off hating on LeBron? Hell, you think I will stop hating on Tom Brady after he wins an eighth ring? It's not going to happen. The grind never stops. And that's definitely the biggest lesson when dealing with a hater, realizing that it's a never-ending and always a losing battle for you. It doesn't matter what type of rationale, logic, reasoning, and comebacks that you throw back at them, even though that you know that you are objectively right. It does not matter. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Their goal is not to win the debate. Their goal is to piss you off so much that the next time they tweet, you're going to be right back in their mentions. Why do you think Patrick Beverly went on ESPN for five hours to talk about how sorry Chris Paul was? You take away a hater's audience, he's still a hater. He's just a really sorry one. But remember what I said about Skip and LeBron and me and Brady? 
the amount of success that a player or team has does not change or diminish the amount of hate that they get. In fact, it only increases it. So go ahead, keep engaging with the hate, throw an L plus ratio in there to really spice it up. They really love that. Or just don't engage with it at all because that's the only way that you can stop it. I didn't know we had a resident hater uh, in our comment section. Shout out Aaron Butler, who I guess is a Ravens fan, and you guys mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. are giving him some attention. It's just Feeding been a lot, been a lot of hate, been a lot of hate for the Bengals recently, and I feel like it's just been a transition from, oh, these are the nice, you know, upstart underdogs. You know, they're not going to really do anything, but it's nice to root for them. Now they're winning AFC championships, going to the Super Bowl. They're kind of a threat, and it reminds me of how. The, the tables turned for UC in 2021 because I don't think anyone really expected them to actually make the, the college football playoff. And I think that was why they were so beloved as like an underdog story because they didn't think that like they could actually threaten the power five and take one of the spots. And once they actually did, the agenda went from, oh, you know, we love UC to let's tear down UC and completely discredit them. And that's exactly what's happening to the Bengals right now because no one expected them to be this good this early, and they're threatening everyone else who has been this good for this long. And that's that's what haters do. They try to discredit you. They're not trying to be right. They're just trying to, they're just trying to create chaos. They're trying to make you mad. They're trying to make you come back for more because you can't stand when they speak and spout BS. They want that chaos. And the only way that you can flame out or shut out that chaos is not engage with it. Or if you are going to engage with it, at least know who you're dealing with. With Aaron Butler, I guess you're dealing with a troll. Yes. And usually those kinds of lash outs that you see from folks uh, stem from, I don't know, fear, anger, whatever. Because envy, right? I mean, that that's that's where a lot of this stuff stems. And if, if you kind of go into that with that mindset, unfortunately, I see a lot of it. This is why I don't engage with a lot of stuff on Twitter, because there's just so much of this crap on Twitter. That's just like, what, what, what is this? Why, why is this even why are people spending time on this? I have I. I, I don't know that I have ever gone on an, uh, an opposing show's comment section unless I was a guest on their show or whatever. Of course, I would be a blot. I would. Love to talk football, talk Bengals and whatnot as a guest on another rival show. But as a as a fan, I don't think I have ever gone to another blog of another site and tried to stir the pot. That's just I don't have time. I who I, I don't understand who has time for that. But anyway, that's <laughs> just you. that's just yeah. There you go. There. Hey, that was awesome, my man. Great mic drop. I love it. We are gonna get out of here before we do. Just want to remind folks. Get the show on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. you got to subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel for that. We are bringing you all kinds of content throughout the week, so please enjoy and leave us a review if you could. Aaron, if you want to leave us a one-star on that, I understand, buddy. Uh, Haters going to hate, you know? So do that if you can. And, of course, if you will, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And click the bell to be notified when new content is available. Thank you to all who have tuned in live. Thank you for the super chats. Thank you to all who to, who are tuning in after the fact on your favorite platform. We appreciate the support. We've got a lot more to talk about, a lot more to come at you here on the Orange and Black Insider. And keep it to CincyJungle.com for all the news, opinions, updates, analysis, etc. It's all there. John, have a great rest of your week, my friend. You as well, man. All right. Take care. Take care.